Welcome to Seneca, a weekly podcast about current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studios in Beijing. I'm Jeremy Goldcorn. Uh, this week, I'm hosting alone. Uh, Kaiser is in the United States, um, where his father recently breathed his last. So I'd like to dedicate this show to Kaiser's father, uh, a wonderful man uh, whom I've had the privilege of meeting several times, and uh, all my love to the entire Gore clan uh, at this time. Um, so this week has been a momentous week in other ways, too. Uh, on Tuesday, government authorities announced at last something that we have been expecting for a year, the uh, investigation of uh, Zhou Yongkang uh, on corruption charges. They also announced the theme uh, for uh, the next uh, plenary session, the fourth plenary session of the 18th Central Committee of the Communist Party. And uh, Xinhua had an item, uh, CPC to hold key session on rule of law. The Communist Party will hold the fourth plenary session of the 18th Central Committee in October to discuss key issues concerning rule of law, it was announced. So to, we're very fortunate this week to have uh, from uh, the George Washington University Law School in Washington, D.C., Professor Don Clark uh, with us. Uh, welcome to the show, Don. I'm so glad you could be with us because this Thanks, is a very perfect timing to have you on. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we are joined by co-host David Moser. Welcome, David. How are you doing? Thank you, Jeremy. Very well. Thank you. Um, so let's get straight in, in, into the, the start of the topic with Zhou with, with Yongkang. Um, this is uh, obviously news that has been expected for some time, but have you got any thoughts on, on the way it happened and uh, the implications, Don? Well, it's uh, important to recognize that we're not yet talking about any legal proceedings. What we're talking about at the moment is uh, really a continuation of internal party disciplinary proceedings. Um, kind of remarkably, the announcement uh, sort of pretends that um, the process is just getting underway. They said they've sort of established or set up a, a particular case on Zhou Yongkang, and now they're going to be investigating him, although um, the man has not been seen since about October 2013 and has presumably been under um, investigation ever since then. But this marks, you know, the formal acknowledgement by the uh, party authorities that he is, in fact, officially uh, in trouble. Uh, what will probably happen then is this investigation will go on, there'll be a party disposition, and then in the language commonly used, his case will be transferred to the judicial authorities and uh, appropriate, uh, you know, officials, uh, judicial proceedings will then follow. So, I mean, this uh, makes a good place to start talking about our main subject, which is rule of law in China. Um, so the announcement of uh, the Zhou Yongkang uh, investigation uh, came at exactly the same time as the announcement that the next plenary session of the Communist Party would focus on rule of law. Um, and so obviously there's a, there's a message that's being sent, mm. sent here. So I'd like to just start off by defining rule of law, because when the Communist Party of China says rule of law, they don't mean the same thing that uh, I would imagine one means writing uh, a paper at... The the George Washington University Law School. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they might like you to think they mean the same thing, because remember, rule of law is this kind of magic word, and everybody uh, you know, wants to say they have it, just like everybody wants to say they have democracy, or everybody, every you know, self-respecting country wants to have a national airline, so they all want to say we have a rule of law um, as well. 
Um, and so, you know, in one sense, you can say, well, nobody has a monopoly on definitions of rule of law, and uh, Chinese government is entitled to have its own definition. But uh, even if we say that, it, it is important, as you say, to understand the distinction between what is, in a practical sense, meant by rule of law in China and what other people mean by it. Before so, you expand it, Don, I'd just like mm -hmm. to ask David to explain. There, there are two words in Chinese, right, David? Mm -hmm. And both are basically pronounced more or less the same, fajr. Yes, yeah, so you... Right? In oral speech, you don't notice a difference, but we, they talk of, uh, you know, the attempt to build a renger society versus uh, a fajr society. And the and that and ruled by people, a society ruled by connections and guanxi versus a society move, move, ruled by law, fajr. But there's two jurs here. One is zheng zhe de zhe, which means to control. And the other is zhe, zhe du de zhe, which means a system. So uh, there's a distinction made between uh, building a system of laws versus uh, rule by law. In other words, that rule by law as opposed to, to something else. In other words, a sort of guanxi culture. But I, I think a distinction that's, that's in, in our context that's, that's interesting that we use with a, we make distinction by using a different preposition is that we often characterize Chinese, uh, the Chinese system as rule by law rather than rule of law. And, you know, a good example would be, you know, the, the current situation. When, when, whenever a dissident is arrested, usually what the authorities say is he has been arrested in full, in full accordance with the laws of the People's Republic of China. And I, they're not lying. But the, what they don't tell you is that those rules, the laws that they've encoded there, are usually uh, written in such a way as to give the government authority to do to take whatever means it, think it deems necessary to main yeah. maintain stability, rather than a system of laws which is set to protect the people from an obtrusive government. Right. And well, I, Don, am I right about that? Right. You know, one of the interesting things, and to, just to go back to your question, uh, Jeremy, one of the interesting things about the Zhou Khan case is that it does not even meet the standards of rule by law, um, because um, this is a Joe's. Uh, detention investigation is all being carried out pursuant to what we can call an extra legal uh, party procedure that um, really does not pass muster under Chinese law. And the reason I say this is because there's a very specific provision uh, in the Chinese constitution. There's a specific provision in a piece of Chinese legislation called the Law on Legislation, which says uh, very clearly, and everybody understands what this means, that personal liberty cannot be restricted. You know, you cannot lock somebody up unless it's pursuant to a statute passed by the National People's Congress or the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress. So that's a very clear rule. Everybody understands that. And the interesting thing is that the party disciplinary procedure under which Zhou Yongkang has been detained does not have any statutory author, author, you know, uh, basis of this kind. And so everybody understands that it does not pass muster actually under Chinese law itself. And some people justify it by saying, well, it's necessary. Uh, uh, you know, we cannot turn this over to the state organs because, you know, Zhou uh, Yongkang has too much power and, and things like that. But uh, everybody kind of understands that even under Chinese law, uh, it's illegal. It's really a kind of legalized uh, kidnapping. So isn't that the same thing that happened under Boisi Lai, by the way, essentially? Yeah. Well, initially, uh, yeah. no doubt he was put under this, um, uh, you know, double designation, this Shuanggui uh, internal party disciplinary process initially. Of course, eventually, as we know, he ended up in a formal legal process, but that was after the internal he was thrown process. to that once the, once right. the conclusion was, was you know, foregone. They handed his case over to the judicial organs. Is, is the uh, that has not yet happened yet with the Zhou Yongkang case. To what extent is the Shuanggui encoded in law? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. The interesting thing is, so, you know, it could be. You know, there's nothing stopping the party, which completely controls the legislative process, 
um, from deciding to say, what do we want to do exactly with Shuanggui, this uh, internal disciplinary procedure, and then, you know, writing up a bill, giving it to the National People's Congress, and having them pass it. There's nothing stopping them from doing this. So the question is, why don't they do it? And I think the reason, you know, I, I talk about this with other, you know, Chinese academics and other people, and, and sort of, you know, my theory, which people, you know, confirm mostly, maybe I just listen to the ones that confirm it and dismiss the ones that don't. <laughs> but, you know, my theory is that this is really the party sending a message that they do not believe that they are under the law, and they don't want to send this message that they think they are under the law. So not legalizing it by statute is, is not an accident. It's a deliberate message that we are not bound by the law. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, that, that I think, is a signal you get from many uh, parts uh, of the party. Um, so is Zhou Yongkang himself, I mean, under Shuanggui? I mean, is that, or do we know... Well, there has been no official announcement. So basically what we know for a fact is that he hasn't been seen in public since about October 2013. So there's probably, I mean, logically, I think there's only four possibilities. One is that he's under some kind of official criminal investigative process. I think the possibility of that is extremely small. Two is that he's under this formal Shuanggui process. Three is that he's under some other internal party process which does not even rise to the level of Shuanggui. And four is that he's just decided to, you know, take it easy, you know, spend more time with his family and, and not answer the door. Um, I think four is also very unlikely. So it's either two or three. Um, since it's the official announcement of the investigation only came the other day, it may be that the formal Shuanggui process uh, you know, did not start until the other day, and that he was, in fact, being detained basically on, you know, some leaders say so uh, before that. Right. But, you know, we don't know. Um, so, Don, uh, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, what do you think the likely, the, the next series of events is going to be with Zhou Yongkang? Um, my expectation is that he will be uh, expelled from the party, um, I'm not the only one to notice that in this announcement about him, they did not call him comrade. Uh, they called Bo Xilai comrade when they made the announcement about uh, his being, you know, formally uh, under investigation. They did not call Zhou Yongkang comrade. You know, whether he will uh, ever end up in a formal judicial process, you know, it's very hard to say. On the one hand, people will say, well, if he doesn't, then what's the point of all this, you know, beating of gongs and drums? Um, if he's really done nothing that rises to the level of illegality that should be prosecuted. On the other hand, some other people will say, well, if they put him on trial, you know, a lot of dirty laundry is going to come out and therefore they'll try to cover but the whole thing But that's ridiculous because they can, they can, the dirty laundry they can choose. I mean, Borsi yes. Lai, it was, like with Borsi it was Lai, this yeah. mock, you know, this kind of parody of an open trial. But yes. I mean, the, the, the information was drip-fed in very carefully edited doses. Right. I, I agree. It, it won't be an open trial. Sense. So, therefore, I would come down on the side of saying I think it's likely there will be some kind of criminal trial. I, I also think it's uh, interesting to note that once they made the decision to announce that they were actually going to uh, you know, apply formal charges to him, that the, the media system here is, is so much in lockstep that everywhere along the way, you know, suddenly they're allowed on WeChat to have this satirical game making fun of him. As you say in the People's mm -hmm. Daily, there's a big spread showing his uh, nefarious, uh, you know, connections and his corruption and his, his connections with the petroleum industry and so on and so forth. I, I, just just a, a personal anecdote. I just did a TV show two or three days ago, which is a just a, a cultural TV show about aspects of history. It's mainly about history. And they, they did a show on uh, Bao Gong, who is the Song Dynasty sort of Sherlock Holmes detective 
who uh, in movies and TV shows and things is portrayed as sort of the virtuous, you know, detective who breaks cases and 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 uh, of cases involving corruption. So brings down, you know, uh, corrupt officials, sort of the Woodward and Bernstein of of, of China, you know. And they did this show, and it was very interesting because the, the, the person who was talking about Bao Gong, and it was all in, a, in an innocent historical t- context, was throwing out references to, oh, you know, he was attacking people that in modern parlance we would call, you know, tigers or big tigers, including small flies, and, and was going on and on and, and, you know, was saying how what a courageous figure this was. And, I, and anyone watching that show could not have escaped the obvious... Uh, infer, you know the the reference that this that that Bao Gong was Xi Jinping, right. and the big tigers was Zhou Yong Kong. You know, yeah, yeah. and and so that's just the, an example of the media blitz when they yeah. want to do it to the Falun Gong when they wanted to do it to whoever. You know, you cannot escape it. So I mean, the the, the conclusion is a foregone one. Absolutely, that, that we know how this drama is going to end, right. and they're already setting this thing in motion. Just what are well, the details? Yes, exactly. Yeah. What well, are the just, details just, of the of the script? <laughs> right. Just just today or yesterday, the. Um, the party group of the Supreme People's Court um, uh, came out with an announcement um, uh, firmly in support of Xi Jinping and denouncing uh, Zhou Yongkang, not only for violating party discipline, but also for violating state law. So it's, it's pretty amazing <laughs> that in the absence even of an indictment, they have already come to the conclusion that he has violated state law. As has the entire People Liberation Army and yeah. uh, at least one of the big petro- uh, petroleum yeah. companies, I think, is, is at uh, CMPC uh, on their website posted a statement that the entire organization was uh, united uh, in condemning uh, Zhou Yongkang. Right. Well, one expects this from all the organs in the bureaucracy. Everybody has to, you know, xiao um, zhong, you know, to show their, their loyalty. But, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that nobody thinks it's odd that the court, which is supposed to be, you know, the neutral arbiter of these matters, also, you know, jumps on the bandwagon. And, and, but I, mean, I think it's odd, of course, I mean, but it, nobody it, in China it, thinks Isn't it's that odd. because everybody <laughs> in their heart of hearts knows that this rule of law uh, rhetoric is, is a sham? Well, I don't know. I wouldn't go so far as to say that everybody knows it's a sham. Um, f- very few people, I think, are consciously cynical, right? Um, and so... Really? <laughs> We're sitting next to one right here. <laughs> we live in different universes. But, but, well, so, so I think a lot of people... I um, live in China. <laughs> you know, if you went through your life believing that everything was a sham, it would be awfully hard to keep living. So I, th- I think that... I, yes! <laughs> you feel my pain. But don't we live in a system where people don't really have that much mm. expectations mm. of law? I mean, no one is like disappointed or outraged because they didn't expect it to begin with, right? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, that that's summarizes without the glib... Glib cynicism. We, we live in a world where people apply the xinfang and the shangfang. You know, they don't expect lawyers or law. They, they appeal directly to right. The I, I guess it depends on who you're talking about. I thought you were talking about kind of officials within the system. Do they all understand that everything they're doing is a sham? Right, uh, and that oh, and that, right. that the leadership doesn't really mean it when they talk about rule of law. I mean, I think there are many people, you know, insiders in the system who do want to see, uh, you know, maybe at least rule by law. And you know some and kinds government. of I, I agree. I'm curves not on government, I mean. you know, arbitrary authority. And things well, like we that. put it that way. There are people mm-hmm. in any legal system, including the U.S., who would love to have a rule by law rather than rule of law. They they always move in that direction whenever given the, the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So China is no different, right? The people operating in the system, 
they, these are the bad guys and <laughs> we're the good let's, guys. Right, <laughs> let's get them by whatever means right. necessary. Well, you know, on that note, let's turn to another subject mm. and somebody who's feeling the full force of rule by law, which is the, the lawyer, Puja Chang, uh, who's been arrested and is going to go on trial uh, on charges of stirring up trouble and creating disturbances. Xun Xun Zi Shi. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So this is a, a charge. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about Puja Chiang, Don, and, and, and about this charge, which seems to recently have become fashionable for the Communist Party to use to prosecute uh, dissidents and people they don't like? Right. Well, um, so, so Puja Chiang is a well-known uh, lawyer, no, known for a couple of reasons. One is because, of course, he's taken some well-known cases. He's not solely, I should say, uh, the Wei Chuan lawyer. That is a lawyer who does these sort of, you know, uh, uh, right, civil rights cases. He also has a commercial practice. Um, but he's also, uh, in addition to taking these, some of these well-known cases, uh, you know, he also publishes, uh, you know, essays and, uh, you know, writes things and denounces things and <laughs> things like that. And so in general, you know, is kind of persona non grata with the government. And uh, he was a member of a group of people uh, who met uh, at someone's house earlier this year to, uh, you know, talk about, I guess, a kind of a salon, you know, to talk about June 4th and uh, related events. Um, uh, many of them were detained. I believe they've all been let go except for Puja Chang. And um, this charge of um, uh, creating disturbances and stirring up trouble uh, has been brought uh, against him. Now, you know, the interesting thing about this charge, again, going back to like rule by law, and is it really legal under Chinese law? The interesting thing is this charge really is actually difficult to make stick under Chinese law because... You know, the, this notion of stirring up trouble and creating disturbances. Yes, it sounds very vague, and it is vague, but actually it's just a label for a crime. And in the criminal law, it actually has to mean one of about four specific things. And the Supreme People's Court has also come up with an interpretation which restricts it even more. So you, in fact, the, the prosecution cannot simply say you're stirring up trouble uh, under the law. They have to identify some specific things. And uh, when you look at the specific things, None of them really seem to apply. Except to, that they don't actually have to identify those things, right? They can well, just... well, according to the law, they do. Now, you, then you get the other problem. Is the problem in the law or is the problem in the fact that whoever is judging his case will not be a neutral judge? Uh, and I think in his case, the problem really is the latter. It's not the former. So in other words, it's not a question of, you know, fixing the law wouldn't fix the problem because the law is actually not that vague. It, it says specific things count. For example, um, uh, hitting someone in a public place. Uh, now, you know, he didn't hit anyone in a public place. Uh, and, I, you know, I forget what the other specific things are, but is, is certainly this a, is this having a, dinner with a bunch of people in someone's house doesn't count. <laughs> is this akin to the old uh, label hooliganism? of hooliganism, is, which is also very vague? Well, yeah, uh, it's line. much more specific than hooliganism because under the old criminal law, that is China's first criminal law, uh, which became effective in 1979, hooliganism was defined as a bunch of specific things, A, B, yeah. C, and D. But then there was E, which was and other and hooligan other <laughs> activity. <laughs> right, yeah. which could include homosexuality could, or anything you want. Anything. Yeah, right. but, yeah. but later Later on, actually, in the 1990, was it 96 or 97 revision to the criminal law, uh, they took that out. Uh, so there okay. is no longer a kind of general crime of hooliganism. The right. specific offenses remained, but, but the general thing of, you know, and other hooligan activities. Uh, you but know, you're saying this Xun Xin Zi Shi is really a specific, has some specific Right, examples. it has a specific definition. Okay. So, you know, that's sort of the label of the crime. So it's, in other words, the, the criminal law says something like, if you engage in the following activities constituting xun xin zishi, you know, stirring up trouble and creating disturbances, then, you know, then you'll be uh, subject to prosecution. Then mm -hmm. there's a colon, and then there's like four subparagraphs that list the specific activity. So it's not all 
types of stirring up trouble and creating disturbances that gets so, you in so trouble. So Putin Chang is, 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 is mm. arrested and yeah. going to be tr- uh, put on trial for this mm. ridiculous, trumped-up nonsense, you know, picking quarrels and provoking a dispute. What do you think will happen? Do you think he's going to uh, be convicted? Yes. Yeah, so um, they're just going to do him. He's done. Yes, once... Because he's already now, he, first he was detained, and then after detention there follows this thing of daibu, which is a formal uh, arrest. Um, and that is a specific formal procedure in Chinese criminal law. And once you get to that stage, it's very hard uh, you know, for, for anything to, to move backwards. Once he's, he's put on tr- in layman's terms. Right. In other words, for the thing to be undone, right. because, you know, people will lose face. Uh, you know, I mean, this is the state is signaling, of course, that this is their intention. But also, you know, even if it were a non-political case, uh, you know, people lose face. You have to acknowledge a mistake was made, etc. And, and so it's very difficult uh, to move back. I should add the um, the rate of uh, conviction in uh, Chinese courts. Now, before I say this, you know, don't misinterpret this number. Uh, <laughs> the rate of conviction is... Uh, it, it's over about 99.5%. So the, the acquittal rate, I believe, is under 0.5%. Now, I should say, it's also <laughs> extremely low in, for example, South Korea and Japan. So having a really, really low acquittal rate doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you've got a terrible system. It might mean that prosecutors are really, really careful, you know, and they only bring to court, you know, the most definite cases. <laughs> On the other hand, I think we could reasonably suspect. <laughs> we won't misinterpret those numbers. We, we could reasonably we're, wonder. We, we understand China is a country under rule of law. No. Uh, right. Uh, so the real question, so in other words, <laughs> your, your, your big chance to get off is before you go to trial and hopefully before you get arrested. But once, that hap- once the trial has been set, you know, your chances of acquittal, statistically speaking, are trivial. So the, these mm. people like Pu Zhiqiang and, and mm. some of these uh, other activists they seem to be, especially the lawyers, they seem to be doing something on purpose here. They seem to be uh, skirting the edge. I mean, doing everything that, that in the eyes of, of the world would be technically legal and s- sort of daring the, the government to, to you know, show its hand. By, and there's always that point at which they will, in fact, go over mm-hmm. the line because they, they will. You know? it's sort of, it, there's this notion they call that Zhu uh, Quan trumps Renquan, you know, right. that our sovereignty or our ability to con- control to, to, to control stability or to maintain stability trumps human rights and law in the end. Is, is that, you know, is, is that what Pooja Chang was? He was almost hoping for this result in a certain sense, yes? I, I think that's very hard to say whether he was. I mean, there's at least three types of kind of dissidents, right? One would be the type that tries very carefully to avoid getting arrested. And so they try to skate as close to the line as they can, but they do try to figure out where the line is, and they try to stay on one side of it because getting arrested and sitting in jail is really unpleasant, and and they don't want to do that. Um, And then there'd be a second type, which, as you say, would be the type that actually is attempting to get arrested because they want to kind of make the state show its fangs, and then everybody will realize, you know, what a terrible state it is. And they Um, also get a career So it's kind of deliberately being a provocateur. I mean, the the cynic in me also has to say such people also can manufacture a career for themselves if they do that. Possibly. Okay. So they they may have. so, So that's the second type. But there's also a third type. You know, I've met a few people like this. I think maybe... Xu Zhiyong would be this third type. And the third type is people who say, I just got to do what I have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather not get arrested. It's not pleasant. Going to jail is not pleasant. Uh, it's not my mission to expose the government. But I see this thing happening and I have to do something about it. 
And so they're, they're just kind of internally driven, and they're not making a calculation about how close they can skate to the edge. They're just saying, I got to do what I got to do. Where would you put so, Chen Guangcheng in that? Interesting. Um, I don't think he's the, t I, I don't th see many of the second type in China. I don't think, you know, people who are, you know, deliberately trying to make, uh, you know, the state, you know, show its fangs and, and, and are deliberately uh, sort of trying to ex excite, you know, uh, mm -hmm. or, or to, to instigate uh, a repressive response. Um, I think it's more sort of the first and the third. So I would expect most normal people are the first type, right? I mean, that's, yeah. so it takes a very special type of person, you know, to right. be the third type. Yeah, uh, right. Let's move on from uh, uh, dissidents and uh, corrupt security SARS uh, onto <laughs> uh, things connected with foreigners and foreign companies in China. So another legal topic that's uh, rather timely right now is uh, uh, the uh, government announced an investigation into Microsoft, um, apparently under the anti-monopoly laws. Um, and this comes very uh, uh, soon after the announcement of an investigation also under anti-monopoly laws mm. of Qualcomm, the mobile phone chip manufacturer. Um, and it does also come against the background of a, a very evident Chinese government uh, response to the Snowden affair and to the U.S. indictment of five PLA mm. staffers for hacking. Um, which uh, you can see both in the media and now in these investigations, which is a, uh, a commitment to a much greater scrutiny of foreign tech companies. Um, but, uh, you know, what do you think has led to this Microsoft investigation, Don? I don't know what in particular might have triggered, you know, the Microsoft investigation. I, I do know that we're seeing more you know, actions against foreign companies uh, than we used to see. So I think, you know, there's, there's sort of two trends one can notice. One is a trend over time, which is, you know, a lot more actions being taken against foreign companies for, you know, uh, real or imagined defenses. And, you know, definitely there must be foreign companies actually doing bad stuff. I mean, they're not all clean as a whistle. So it, it's, I'm not going to rule out the possibility that some of these foreign companies have done something they should be investigated for. Um, but also, we, you know, we're seeing a lot more investigation of the foreign offenses than the, you know, domestic offenses. And I think the GlaxoSmithKline case is a very good example. I mean, everybody knows that the Chinese pharmaceutical industry is, you know, as corrupt uh, as they get uh, and with loads of kickbacks to doctors for prescribing drugs. And uh, yet, you know, they go after GlaxoSmithKline, but not. Uh, after any of the Chinese companies. So that definitely leads one to wonder if there is some kind of, you know, anti, uh, you know, foreign agenda going on here. Is that mm. what people are thinking in Washington, D.C., do you think? Uh, I mean, you do see it in the media, mm. this idea that there's a, a growing and very real hostility to foreign companies. Yes, I, I think people are, are, you know, are reading the tea leaves correctly in this case, that there is, um, for for whatever reason, more uh, pressure being put on foreign companies in China. So let's look at a very small company mm -hmm. then. Um, another uh, case that's coming up very soon, next week, I believe, is uh, Peter Humphreys, the British investigator who was, had been working for GSK. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, this has been a, a very murky affair. He and his wife, who ran the firm together, were detained uh, last year. Um, and uh, soon after the detention, there was a, a, a video, uh, a CCTV uh, news clip that aired on Nationwide TV and also on the Internet of him basically confessing to 
uh, various things. Yeah, I, th um, I think that's completely contrary to Chinese criminal procedure law to let TV stations in to do <laughs> but uh, none know, the, none broadcast the interviews of the prisoners confessing all. That has yeah. been a tactic yeah. that has, since Shiamanza, since the detention for yes. soliciting yes. prostitutes, mm. oh, it's, it's been, I mean, I think there have been about routinely now, 10, uh, yeah. 10 very mm. notable cases right. of this at least. Uh, CCTV nationwide primetime news broadcast confessions before charges have even been laid. Often the, the police have just nabbed them, right? So, well, uh, it's easier to figure out the charges once you have the confession. Once you have the confession. <laughs> so, but nonetheless, they still took a, an awful long time to um, mm. now actually say that we're going to have the, the, uh, the mm. trial. And they first announced it would be a closed trial, and now it's apparently going to be an open trial. You know, what's going on here, Don? Do you mm. understand, you know, what are the machinations and the workings behind this? Uh, strange and uh, opaque uh, series of events. Right. Well, as for the closed versus open trial, uh, probably they wanted to have a closed trial just because, you know, it's easier to do things not in public than to do them in public. And then, you know, the uh, uh, British uh, consulate, presumably British embassy, somebody presumably complained and said, well, wait a minute, we have a consular agreement here that says that our consular officers are allowed to attend the trial. And, uh, and, and so you can't just close off the trial. Um, I'm not sure what's happening with his wife. I, she is an American citizen at this point, uh, originally uh, PRC origin, I understand. Uh, I hope that uh, American uh, diplomats are making the same representations, saying, insisting that uh, they be allowed to, have the, to, to attend the trial. Uh, whether it will be truly open in the sense of uh, allowing any uh, kind of Jiang San Li Se to just walk in, uh, I doubt that very much. I mean, very few Chinese trials are open uh, in that sense. I have a sort of a related question. You know, this is this is obviously an, an issue of, of a very very uh, visible and an issue of international law. Uh, I was talking to someone from Pricewaterhouse Coopers the other day, and was was saying we were talking about this issue of uh, rule of law in various domains, and and what he said was uh, in the in the world of corporate law and and anything involving international trade that that he he thought that China was a, about 90% or 95% on the guoji gui you know on the international what do you, we call it the global the international track in other words it was pretty much in compliance with most but anything below that he said was the wild 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 west be it you know copyright law be it whatever what is your take on that i mean what what are some of the areas where where China is uh, actually coming along with the with the global fajr trend, and what are some areas where, where it's just hopelessly mired in the old way, way of thinking? Well, yeah, I'm not sure what he meant by kind of international corporate law, though, because I think um, he meant the things like Starbucks, McDonald's, and Nokia, and and the the, the rules of engagement here when when they do business and set up, you know. Uh, okay, that, that big firms yeah, can right. can generally come to China and do business successfully. Um, or legally anyway, or w w with, yeah. with reasonable uh, you know, uh, compliance, local uh, uh, compliance with international law. Right. Well, uh, again, I'm not sure what he meant because international law doesn't he could really have been wrong. investment. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really domestic law. But I would say, you know, often big companies do manage to do okay in China. Um, but I wouldn't say it's because of the legal system. I would say it's because of their clout and their political kind of... Um, a pull with the government. I mean, I remember several years ago, the CEO of the Coca-Cola company said that China was more business friendly than the United States, which, you know, if you've ever tried 
as a Chinese company, if you just want to move your office from one district in Beijing to another district in Beijing, it's unbelievably difficult. You know, setting up a company, you have to do all these things. It's, I mean, that's just, just I, a I myself completely absurd statement. I've been through that torture. Yeah. It's a completely <laughs> absurd statement, but he's making it because he's, you know, the head of Coca Cola. And when Coca Cola comes to China, you know, they meet with the prime minister. Uh, and yes, of course, it's easy for them. You know, maybe he doesn't get to sit with President Obama with the ease that he can, you know, go and meet uh, Li Keqiang or, or uh, you know, Xi Jinping or something. But that doesn't mean that the business climate is really better. But in terms of, um, you know, which areas is uh, China doing well in? Actually, you know, my understanding, I'm not an IP expert, but my understanding is that in IP, it's really not bad. Uh, intellectual property. That is, you know, you hear a lot of, you know, complaints about violations and things like that, but nevertheless, um, you know, the legal system is there and courts are, uh, you know, uh, enforcing uh, intellectual property rights hmm. and giving you, you know, giving people judgments in their favor when their rights have been uh, infringed. So I think the, the what I hear from people who know about these things is that actually intellectual property is is not bad. I think things like um, you know antitrust. We were just talking about this Microsoft investigation. Is uh, seems to be highly politicized, mm. and uh, you know one of the problems is now that antitrust enforcement is divided among three different governmental bodies. The original idea was to have one body, but then they ended up with three because of internal political fights. You know, I guess three people wanted the rents. You know, that would come from being able to enforce antitrust law. So that's you know that's still a problem. Uh, you know, securities law, obviously some big problems because pretty much all the enforcement is in the hands of the CSRC, the China Securities Regulatory Commission. And, you know, they have limited manpower, limited resources. The courts aren't doing a lot in enforcement of securities law, Don't say securities fraud, insider trading, things like that. What about labor laws has some improvements too, right? Since 2008 and, and, and to the present time, labor's... There's, there's, there's two sides to it, you know, because... Uh, if you talk to, um, say, foreign companies who are, uh, you know, as, as employers in China, they seem to think that all the power is in the hands of employees. You know, when you want to get rid of an employee, basically the only way you can do it is to pay them off and get them to leave. <laughs> you know, a friend of mine who's a lawyer here told me they were representing a company once who uh, uh, was not allowed to fire an employee who had been literally caught stealing from the company. I mean, there was no factual dispute about the matter. He had been stealing from the company and, you know, they had to give him a second chance. Um, on the other hand, you know, we have story after story about, you know, migrant laborers who don't get paid. And uh, so there seems to be plenty of room for um, uh, oppression of workers by some types of employers and other types of employers. It seems they can't do anything and all the power is in the hands of the, uh, the employees. I think, um, should we, is there anything else we should, we should talk about before mm. we get to the recommendation section? I, I wanted to say one more interesting thing about the Peter Humphrey case, um, which is that what he was uh, doing, which uh, resulted in his undoing, was conducting an investigation into, uh, I guess, certain Chinese business partners of GlaxoSmithKline. And um, apparently he conducted an investigation into the wrong person, and that person you know, pulled some strings and got him arrested. This is you know, what the, uh, the scuttlebutt is. Um, but, you know, generally, uh, not just in his case, but also in other areas, we are seeing a kind of crackdown on people who are basically, you know, engaged in corporate intelligence gathering. And a lot of that corporate intelligence gathering would be considered, uh, you know, 
lawful, pretty innocent in other parts of the world. You know, people, corporations, people, they need information to conduct people their business. People do what I do, basically. Yeah, they need, I, know, you know, yes. I mean, this is why some of my comments about the rule of law, you know, are at large, because I look at Peter Humphreys and I think, you know, there but for the grace of Jo Young Kang go I. Right. Or, or Stern Hu, for example, yeah. you know, uh, who apparently... Uh, now, maybe, you know, he was eventually charged with taking bribes, and it's really very heartwarming to see the Chinese government so concerned with the welfare of Rio Tinto uh, to make sure that their employees are, are honest. And an Australian citizen. Stuff, yes, right. yes. But um, uh, he was also charged with uh, theft of commercial secrets, and apparently, you know, the sort of things he was doing was, you know, going out with dinner with, to dinner with people and, you know, asking them lots of questions. And, uh, uh, you know, it's very hard to to know where the line is being drawn. And in fact, I, I don't think there is a line being drawn. I think, you know, the message uh, is certainly um, to people don't do a lot of due diligence. And that has also got to affect the business climate. If you're going to be, you know, conducting uh, an acquisition in China, uh, you want someone to go and dig up all the dirt around the potential uh, the target that you're thinking of buying. Um, you know, you could, that person who's digging up the dirt could get into a lot of trouble. And so, of course, they're not going to want to do it. You're not going to get a complete report. So um, it's, it's definitely putting, I think, uh, a damper on acquisitions. On that rather depressing note, <laughs> let's move on to the final section of the show, which is recommendations. David, what have you got for us? Uh, I've been very interested in urbanization lately with, uh, with the news that the authorities are planning to combine the cities of Beijing, Tianjin, and Hebei province into one large megalopolis with a population of uh, between 100 and 130 million people. That would be a mega, megalopolis. <laughs> that would be a megalopolis. Lollapaloozopolis or whatever. Uh, so I, I've been reading a lot about uh, urbanization in preparation for the, <laughs> the catastrophes that are going to ensue, I, I think. But a, the, a book I've been looking at, um, reading, is called Cities and Stability. I think that uh, Bill Bishop linked to this maybe or something. Maybe that's where I found it. I can't remember. Cities and Stability, Urbanization, Migration, and Authoritarian Resilience in China by Jeremy Wallace. And the upshot of, of the book is, and his case basically, is that uh, with uh, China's uh, urban bias, which is, it shares with lots of other countries, putting resources and priority into urban areas, uh, because that's where uh, the risk of instability is, is, uh, is, is sort of a trend you know, throughout the world in various countries and, and a, a, a strategy that regimes use. China, with its uh, push towards massive urbanization, because of allocation of resources, he says, is risking massive instability and maybe even overthrow if they're not careful. And so that's interesting uh, to look at. And I think probably j just in general, urbanization is something we need to be thinking about because it's going to be a, a big factor in the future. And also, I'd like to recommend a Seneca podcast. I, I don't think we cannibalize our own podcasts enough. Yeah. Uh, I recommend. Uh, okay, David. No, no. Well, <laughs> no, a specific Seneca <laughs> podcast. This is the, the one back in, I don't know when it was, called China's Urban Billion by Tom Miller. Oh, yeah. A good one. I don't mean the podcast itself. I mean I mean this particular podcast. Uh, right. The a, podcast a, itself generally sucks. Yeah. When you're on it. It's <laughs> yeah. just... Okay, gotcha. So Tom Miller, China's Urban Billion. Check out that book. Very, very important. Lovely. Don. Okay, well, uh, you know, I'm going to have to recommend something law-related, but it's actually also related to our... I just found out yesterday it's actually related to our uh, specific subject of today. Um, and it's a film, uh, and the English... It's a Chinese movie. The English name is uh, Judge, and the Chinese name is uh, Toxi. 
which is um, dialysis. Yeah, I was going to say that's not a translation of right. judge. And uh, I can guarantee that the sub- <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I can guarantee that the subtitles are of excellent quality because I, I got to know the director and he had me come over and edit all the subtitles, which I spent about six hours doing, and I actually ended up getting a credit in the movie. So all the legal terminology in the subtitles is 100% accurate. But it's an interesting movie uh, for two reasons. One is because the, um, the subject matter it deals with is that of a rich guy who is trying to line up um, a kidney transplant from a death row convict who's about to be executed. Ah. And, uh, you know, this is a very sensitive subject in China. And, and you might wonder, how can somebody make a movie about this subject? Uh, the second interesting thing is that they show some execution scenes. And uh, the director, they look extremely realistic. And uh, the director told me that, in fact, the protocol uh, that he used, uh, that he showed in, in, in the execution scenes was, in fact, the actual protocol that's used. Uh, they had an actual execution ground. Uh, the actors who played guards were actually real guards. And again, why was he able to do this? Okay. But he wasn't allowed to screen it here, right? Well, no, it, it wasn't a real execution. Right. But in other words, what you saw was a faithful reproduction of a real execution. But I mean, well, the, the, the bullet movie in the back itself of the head, hasn't right? been... With uh, a bullet in the back. He's talking about the movie itself has not been screened in Yeah, I mean, the movie itself is not well, been screened Well, it has been screened China. in China. I don't know if it's been screened on the big screen. It was screened at oh, okay. uh, the Cherry Lane Cinema a few yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah, something yeah, like okay. that. Right. Um, but not, 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 no theatrical release. But I think I'm it was intended to be screened in China. It's all Chinese movie with Chinese movie stars, people like that. But uh, so the director, ex- I, I said, how were you able to do this? This is unbelievable. Why did you get such access? And the director explained it to me as, uh, as his having previously filmed another movie called Ma Bei Shang De Fa Ting, the court on horseback about some judge who rides around Yunnan and, and uh, you know, does justice. And then apparently the entire Zheng Fa Xi you know, the political legal system loved this movie, he explained to me. And so he became a trusted director <laughs> and they let him do it the second time. But I just discovered yesterday that there may be another explanation because there was an article in the newspaper about um, the uh, the female star in this movie, uh, uh, Mei Ting. And uh, anyways, to, to make a long story short, uh, Zhou Bin apparently invested in the movie industry. Zhou Bin, who is Zhou Yang Kang's son, son, apparently had had investments in a movie making company, ah. and he had been involved in the making of the first movie, this you know court court uh, courtroom on horseback, and therefore I suspect was probably involved in the making of the second movie. And if the son of the entire head of the political legal apparatus is an investor in your movie, you probably get terrific access to you know prisons and uh, you know death row scenes and execution grounds. And all this kind he of may stuff. get even better access to prisons. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, we laugh in Beijing. <laughs> well, at least we're not in Gaza. Um, and my recommendation is not China-related. It's a it's a, a, a radio show that I, I've re- recommended frequently. Philip Adams Late Night Live on Australian ABC Radio, available mm. as a podcast. You've been on that. Right? Uh, I've been on that. Yeah. Um, he has usually much better people than me, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he uh, the one of the most recent episodes he had Robert Fisk the um, uh, journalist who's been based in the Middle East for for decades and you know has a particular take on the Middle East which doesn't endear him to uh, all uh, back in the sort of the the high days of long form blogging um, around the time of the Iraq War American uh, right wing bloggers actually came up with this term to Fisk which meant to go through a Robert originally a Robert Fisk article. <laughs> Uh, paragraph by paragraph and show uh, the mistakes in it. <laughs> 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 but Robert Fisk is a, uh, 
<laughs> very well informed, interesting, and uh, um, enlightening uh, person to talk about the Middle East. Uh, and he's on about Gaza and also MH17 on the show. And I think it's worth a listen to. Uh, although you can, you know, know what he thinks about Gaza before the show, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, David, uh, Don, thank you very much. I think this has been a great discussion of some very depressing topics. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we laughing? <laughs> what else are we going to do? <laughs> we're free men. That's why. Yeah, we're yeah. not in jail yet. <laughs>